Today in Science from Wired. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off US versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous US China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. Fighting a wildfire in Texas, watching a sinkhole swallow eight priceless sports cars, cutting pollution with chainsaws. Hear Chubb customers tell their stories at chubb.com slash podcast. And stay tuned after the show to hear how a new broadband network will deliver the internet to 40 million people in Mexico. After the Napa fires, a disaster in waiting, toxic ash by Adam Rogers. By any measure, the fires that tore through Northern California were a major disaster. 42 people are dead and 100,000 are displaced. More than 8,400 homes and other buildings were destroyed. More than 160,000 acres burned. And the fires aren't all out yet. That devastation leaves behind another potential disaster. Ash. No one knows how much. It'll be full of heavy metals and toxins. No one knows exactly how much, and it depends on what burned and at what temperature. The ash will infiltrate soils, but no one's really sure how or whether that'll be a problem. And eventually some of it, maybe a lot, will flow into the regional aquatic ecosystem and ultimately the San Francisco Bay. That's the bomb. Here's the timer. An old grim joke about California says that the state has only three seasons. Summer, fire, and mudslides. Those mudslides happen because of rain. The Santa Ana, or Diablo if you prefer, wind-driven wildfires of autumn give way to a monsoon season that lasts through winter and into spring. The rains of 2016-2017 ended a long-standing drought and broke all kinds of records. Scientists and environmental health agencies know, mostly, what to expect from ash that comes from burned vegetation. But these fires included something a little new. They burned through the wildland-urban interface and into cities. For how many structures that were burned in fairly small areas in these fires, I think that's a first-of-its-kind event, says Jeffrey Plumley, Associate Director of Environmental Health for the U.S. Geological Survey. The concern is, can they get it cleaned up before the heavy rains come? Chemically, ash is fascinating. If the fire that made it burned at lower than about 840 degrees Fahrenheit, it'll be darker colored, maybe even black, and mostly organic carbon. At higher temperatures, the carbon burns away, leaving inorganic compounds of stuff like calcium, magnesium, and sodium, and it'll be whiter and fluffier. Even hotter fires, like above 1,100 degrees, leave nothing but oxides. Inside a single fire, combustion happens at different temperatures in different places, and because ash is so light, wind can transport it, so the composition of ash from the same fire can vary. 
So depending on how combusted the ash is, it'll have different chemical compositions, and that'll mean the ash will mix either better or worse with underlying soil. Water won't stick to more hydrophobic ash, so rainfall might run off faster, carrying around the surrounding soil as sediment. More hydrophilic ash might mix into the water and wash into nearby streams. Now, carbon is the backbone element of organic systems. Having some flow off of burned hillsides and into aquatic ecosystems isn't necessarily bad. It'll increase what's called primary productivity, allowing algae to reproduce, which means more food for fish. Naturally occurring, lower severity fires can have positive effects, says Kevin Bladen, a forest ecohydrologist at Oregon State University. The fires free up organic carbon and put nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus into play. But the really large, high severity megafires that we've started to observe push the systems in a lot of cases too far. That means dangerously large algal blooms, so-called eutrophication, that can eat all the dissolved oxygen out of a waterway. Making it unlivable for everything else, sediments freed up by the hydrophobic ash end up making water more turbid. Bad for people if that water is supposed to end up coming out of someone's tap, and bad for fish because sediment can gum up feeding and breeding grounds. The problem is getting more familiar as an after effect of fires ranging from Australia to Canada to the U.S. Climate change makes fires and storms more severe. As one of Bladen's papers notes, the 2002 Hayman Fire in the Colorado Rockies sent 765,000 cubic meters of sediment, ash, and other stuff into Denver's drinking water reservoirs, and the problems were still there four years later. We're anywhere from five years to a hundred years in terms of the longevity of effects, Bladen says. That really depends on the severity of the fire and our ability to get some vegetation reestablished on site. It gets even weirder. At high enough combustion temperatures, compounds like potassium carbonate and calcium carbonate turn to oxides. Given the right amount of light rain, calcium oxide, quicklime, slurps carbon dioxide out of the air and forms a crust of essentially cement, limestone. Basically, the ash can pave a forest. If you had the perfect situation, you can really change a watershed with increased runoff," said Victoria Balfour, a post-fire hydrologist. There's more. Combustion byproducts called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and cancer-causing dioxins can all be part of ash. In older forested land that hasn't burned in decades, pollution may have deposited heavy metals like copper, lead, aluminum, arsenic, and even mercury onto the plants. When the plants burn, the metals stay behind or run into waterways. The 2009 Station Fire northeast of Los Angeles increased levels of iron. Manganese and mercury in nearby streams, and the storms that followed soon after brought elevated levels of copper, lead, nickel, and selenium. What makes these latest Northern California fires unique, though, is that they burn not just forest wildland but also cities. And the built environment burns differently. It gets hotter, and it leaves behind different remains. All of a sudden, you've got a lot of impervious surfaces. Bladen says, water hits it and flows over. If there are burned materials sitting on the roads, that's going to move very rapidly into waterways. We have no handle on that at all. Ash science isn't much more than a decade old. Understanding urban ash science has never really been a necessity, but now megafires are coming to cities. What's in that ash depends on how old the buildings are. Pre-1980, the paint will be full of lead. Even more recently, pressure-treated lumber used in landscaping was full of chromate copper arsenate. 
which leaches arsenic and hexavalent chromium, bad for fish and other living things. On the good side, there are probably fewer lead phosphor TV screens. There's a lot more flat screens, Plumlee says. There are more LED light bulbs and hopefully fewer fluorescent and compact fluorescent, which have a concern with mercury. Copper and zinc are also commonly used in building materials. All of which means the real trick in Northern California will be debris cleanup. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, California's EPA, the Army Corps of Engineers, and other agencies and NGOs are all on site, spinning up as a watershed protection task force. They're evaluating the debris and getting it ready for collection. A job done most safely wearing gloves, a Tyvek bodysuit, and an N95 respirator. Drinking water for the region hasn't been compromised. It comes from farther north than the fires, but the Napa and Sonoma rivers and the associated stream systems empty straight into San Francisco Bay. We cherish our creeks and streams, and there's uncertainty in regards to what may be in all this ash, says Bennett Hornstein, director of Santa Rosa Water. So there's a lot of activity to do everything we can in a thoughtful and safe way to protect the ecosystem. Stormwater typically doesn't get treated, so the inlets in Santa Rosa have gotten barrier protection installed. We're all recognizing that this disaster was of such magnitude. The organization is unfolding, Hornstein says, but it does seem to be unfolding in a thoughtful, structured way. The regional monitoring program for water quality already watches what's in the San Francisco Bay besides water. Some of its scientists now have a proposal to monitor the Napa River for what water watchdogs call contaminants of emerging concern. The field is new enough that they're not even sure what they're looking for yet. They're going to use non-targeted analysis to look for anything unexpected. The San Francisco Estuary Institute already monitors dioxins, PAHs, metals, and other stuff in the bay, but only annually or semi-annually. That's probably not fast enough. The ash is on the ground. Getting through the entire area will take some time, Hornstein says, and we're approaching the wet weather season. There's a small storm forecast for next week. Tis, after all, the season. This podcast was made possible by Chubb. Hear how this broadband network will change millions of lives in Mexico right now. Forty million people in Mexico do not have access to the internet. Our company, Altan Redes, is building a network that will connect them to the world. Chubb wrote insurance policies that gave the Mexican government, our investors, and partners the confidence they needed to make this happen. They also cover our construction risk, damage to the network, and environmental exposure. For a project this complex, Chubb was the one. Hear more stories at chubb.com slash podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.